So I want to ask you a question. How do you view God? And do you view him the same way that the disciples did 2000 years ago? And do you view him the same way Moses did? And do you view him the same way Jesus did? You see, the way that you perceive God will impact the way that you live your life. The way that you represent him to the world. The way you do evangelism. And it really changes the God you proclaim. Maybe you grew up in a household or in a church where God was portrayed as this angry God. This angry judge has always just out to get you. Or maybe you grew up in a church where God was proclaimed as a gracious God, yet one who doesn't really care for our sin. One who doesn't really care for our repentance or judgment. What is the God that was proclaimed to us and what is the God we put on to portray to others? The God we serve is perfect. That means that he is perfectly loving, perfectly gracious and full of mercy. Yet at the same time, he has to, because he is perfect love, he has to administer perfect judgment between right and wrong. He has to perfectly draw a line in the sand between good and evil. And what, it, what is done in evil must be accounted for. On, and what is done in good must be rewarded for. We serve a God that is perfectly loving, gracious, and just. But in a culture, we have heard that it was said that law and judgment and grace and love are two different things. And they are mutually exclusive. They are in contrast. They cannot go together. Yet the very nature of our God is one whom has both of these aspects in perfect union. The God that we have often heard proclaimed through our culture and the way that our culture has impacted our perception of God has often radically changed over the last 2000 and even 3000 years. Where the God that our disciples proclaimed and believed in and the God Yeshua, Jesus Christ, who walked among them. The way that they saw him can in many cases be radically different from the way we even think of him today. And the way that Moses, when he went up that mountain in fear and trembling to the God Almighty, Yahweh Elohim, when he went up that mountain, oftentimes we don't see God that way. We approach God casually. We, We see God as so gracious and lax and loving that It doesn't really matter. Our sins are okay and our uncleanness, the fact that we are men of unclean lips, it doesn't bother God anymore because Jesus came, right? And see, we have this idea that we have this God of the Old Testament and then Jesus shows up 
And now God is different. He's changed and he is not like that God anymore. God's character changed because now he revealed to us in Jesus that he is a little different now and that he is now just love and grace and he just forgives and he doesn't care about our sin at all anymore. And in some way it can be true, but in many other ways it is not. You see, brothers and sisters, while God has shown us an image of him in our Torah and prophets, our Old Testament, and he has shown us a side of him in the New Testament and revealed in our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. I want to submit to you that he never changes. And we read about this in the scriptures in Malachi 3 verse 6. God proclaims to us, for I, the Lord, do not change. Jesus is the express visible image of the invisible God. He is the perfect walk of we ought to imitate. He is God in the flesh. And so when we read our New Testament and we read about him and we see how he interacted and we see his relationship with his people, we are getting a perfect image of him. But at the same time, we should not throw out that which God has given in the beginning. When God gave the Torah and the prophets, the, 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 the story of the Exodus, the story of God's relationship with Moses, how God delivered Israel out of Egypt from slavery. All of this are as a precursor to what Jesus would come and do later. And that also paints a picture for us about God's character. And so we cannot throw out the Torah and prophets and say, well, we we have Jesus now. We need to understand that when Jesus came on this earth, he was a man who he had to learn everything like we do. He had to be like placed in our shoes. He was a man, even though he was fully God, he was fully man. He was in a flesh. That means that he had to learn who God is. Right. He had to read the Torah and the prophets. That why, that's why he was in the synagogues uh, talking with the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, because he was there studying and he even himself studied to become a rabbi. He was an expert in the Torah and prophets, what we call our Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, do you know what that means? That means that the full perception of how Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, how he perceived God, everything that he knew about God came from two places. Number one, the Torah and the prophets, what we call our Old Testament. And furthermore, prayer, the second thing. So he everything he knew about God's character came from our Old Testament and his personal relationship of God through prayer. That means that that ought to be the same way we study God's character. We have the Torah and prophets. We have personal relationship with God in prayer. And we have even a third option, which we should also incorporate, of course, and that is Yeshua's walk, the way that Jesus walked. But we should incorporate all of these elements to get a full picture of who God is so we can represent him well. And so I'd like to start this off in the Torah and prophets. We are going to open the story of the Exodus and see the way that God made Israel. He took them out. He took them out of the slavery, out of Egypt, delivered them from that. 
and put them into the wilderness where he came to meet with them. And then he started teaching them about how he desires them to live because he is a holy, perfect God. And he has to now teach them how to be holy, different, set apart as well. And when we go through these commandments and we look upon it and we see how is God showing us that he is a just God. And we see one of this, these elements when we go and open the book of Deuteronomy. We read in Deuteronomy 22 verse 23 concerning the law of adultery. When a girl who is a maiden is engaged to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and shall stone them to death with stones. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city and the man, because he has humbled his neighbor's wife, thus you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, these are one of the commandments that we often don't want to talk about. Yet it is in our Bible. Yet it is something that God himself proclaimed a civil law that he gave Israel. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that because God and Jesus is one, they are one like father and son. That means that it is as if Jesus gave these commandments. Imagine that the Jesus that we all know from the New Testament, Yeshua, our Messiah, giving a commandment to Israel on how to deal with someone who's committing adultery. And he says that the civil law is the law of the land is that they are to be stoned. How could this be a God of love proclaiming such a thing? Now, first, we need to understand that this commandment even though the Torah and the prophets Yeshua said in Matthew 5, I did not come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. That means in the, the Greek word there is pleru, fulfill, and it means to bring meaning. So he said, I did not come to throw out the commandments, the Torah and prophets, not nothing, not one jot or tittle, but I came to give it meaning. That's what Yeshua did. Jesus did. And so we know he didn't throw it out. But this law isn't, even though it is still a law that is not abolished, it, yet it is not a law that can be implemented because it is a law that was given to Israel as a civil law, kind of like a law that the US government or any country's government would implement at its highest level in the laws of the land. For example, we have in the constitutions of many lands that if someone is murdered, the murderer receives a death sentence or a lifetime sentence in a prison. Now, that is the way that we execute judgment. But brothers and sisters, we see here in where Israel was in a theocracy. In other words, their, the laws of their land was governed by the laws that God gave. We are in the U.S. We are in different countries, whether in Europe or whatever country you're at. We cannot be implementing these laws because this is not the law. These laws aren't being kept by the government of your land. Therefore, they cannot be implemented. However, what these laws do for us is they show us how God sees some of these sins. I want to ask you a question. When we look at the sin of adultery, when a man and a 
women is married, yet one of them goes and they lie with someone else. How do we view that sin? In many modern Western countries, even in Christian circles, we see it as a sin and we often see it as a grievous sin. But do we see it as such a horrible sin that it is worthy of stoning or even worthy of lifetime imprisonment in a jail? Just even if it happens once, do we see it that way? No, we don't, right? Oftentimes it's excused as nothing and people overlook it. And oftentimes, sometimes it's just kind of tossed aside and it's, it's just a little mistake. Yet when we look at the way that God, how seriously he looked at this sin, for example, of adultery, he commanded the adulterers to be killed for it. So this is just one example of how the way that we perceive sin is different from the way that God can perceive it. Let's look at another example. Blasphemy in Leviticus 24 verse 16. And he who blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall certainly be put to death and all the congregation certainly stone him. The stranger as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, he is put to death. Today, when someone blasphemes, of course, we're not going to be putting them in prison or nor will we be stoning them. Yet when we see the heart of God behind this and we see that God deemed it so horrible that he commanded stoning. But why something as horrible as a death sentence? I mean, it's it's adultery. It's how could it be that horrible? It's 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 blaspheming the name, you know, those are things that can be forgiven. Why would God execute a death sentence? You see, brothers and sisters, today, when if when we think about someone who murders and, you know, a, a serial killer, for example, someone who murders, let's say, an entire family, five or six or eight people, you know, we would we would expect them to be put away forever, right? We would expect them to have be punished for the rest of their life for what they did and never be let out if not even given a death sentence. But why is it that something like adultery or or blaspheming, we don't see it that way. It's because we have a disconnect with God. It is because God sees this sin as grievous as murder. He sees the way that adultery takes place as if someone is murdered. Because see, brothers and sisters, the reality is, for example, in adultery, that people are murdered in their hearts. If you if there is a covenant, God deems it a covenant when you marry something that can never be broken. But if you go and you commit adultery and you break that covenant, you whore. God sees it that horrible and he commands stoning for the reason he says, even with this law of adultery we just read about so that the evil will stop in your midst. You see, God understood that if people would would see the severity of the consequence of their sin, that they would stop sinning. And it's true. If we can understand the severity of sin, that is a deterrent for sin. And in Israel, it certainly did help. Many of the laws regarding stoning, many of the um, sins regarding that were not as often conducted because of the fear around the punishment that would go along with the sin. And really, this notion that sin leads to death shouldn't be a surprise to us. 
sin in the garden was introduced when Adam and Eve sinned and death was introduced. Sin leads to death. And we read this even written by Paul in the book of Romans. So sin leading to death means that God is actually just making this very real for everyone in Israel when he is showing them how severe their sin is when he introduces the law of stoning and for adultery or for blaspheming his name or for many other sins. Because see, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that God is so holy. He is so perfect that even the most minor, what we consider the most minor amount of uncleanness and imperfection for him, it is an abomination because he is perfect light. It's like having a light in a room. And if that light is shining, no darkness can approach it. It is impossible. Try putting a light in the middle of the room, turning it on and seeing if darkness can come near it. It will never touch it. As long as the power is going to that light, darkness won't touch it. And the same for God. It is like a natural law that darkness, sin, in other words, cannot approach or even come near the holiness of God. In fact, we even see that when God was on the mountain in the Exodus, that he told Moses, make sure Moses, please tell the people that they shouldn't come near the mountain because if they come near the mountain and they touch the mountain, they will die. You see, God is t- t- teaching them. You are men of unclean lips. I am here because I want to have relationship with you. I want to show my love for you. I want that just like in the garden. I want to restore that. But you are still in your sinful state. Therefore, please just don't come near the mountain because if you come too close. You may die. That is how holy he is. And it's not just because he wants to kill us or he's out to get us. It's not just because of that. It's just because that's who he is because of how pure he is. And through the Exodus story and through the Torah and the prophets, God is continually chasing his bride. He's continually trying to get to us, to show us his love for us. And then he did something incredible. He sent Jesus. He sent Yeshua to come and a big change occurred. But it may not be the change that we have often been told that you think may think of. The change it was that he came to bring a relationship, to bring access to him because Jesus died and he was the perfect sacrifice, our Passover lamb sacrifice. We by his blood. We are now actually able to come in to the presence of God. As has been told, the veil was torn and now we have access into the holy of holies with a clean conscience, free from sin. And we don't have to have fear anymore. But many have thought that because all of this has happened and because we have this access to the father that the Israelites never had, that the father somehow changed his mind about these sins. May he somehow become more relaxed regarding them. And Yeshua's sacrifice allows us to come and put our sins on him 
And he takes our sins away. He, he says, your sins were a scarlet, but I'm making it as white as snow. And that means, but, but he then asks of us to repent of our sins. And Yeshua, wherever he went, he told when he healed someone, even he said, now go and sin no more. Repent from your sins. There has to be change in you. But then when we do sin, he says that there is intercession with the father and the father. We can ask the father for forgiveness and he will be quick to forgive. We read this in 1 John 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we must live a life free from sin. We must live a life that we are not in habitual sins. However, when we do fall, which will happen, then there is a way that we can come and we can ask the father for forgiveness, confess our sins. And he says he is quick to forgive us, to wipe us clean. But now did God change in the New Testament? That is really the big question, isn't it? Let's look at some examples. Shortly after setting up the church, Peter and his Peter and his apostles, we see something that happened that is very similar to the way that people died in the Torah and prophets for their sins. We read about the story of Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts 5 verse 3, we read, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Just as we often read about people um, dying in their sin in the Old Testament, God did the same thing when people even just lied about giving some money to Peter's church. Ananias and Sapphira held back secretly in giving money and possessions while telling everyone like Peter and them that they gave everything. And that simple lie caused them to fall down. Both of them fell down and just die right there in front of Peter. We read about another example regarding Simon, the sorcerer. Acts 8 verse 20. But Peter said to him, let your silver perish with you because you thought to buy the gift of God through money. Simon the sorcerer tried to purchase the gifts of the Holy Spirit, coming to Peter saying, I'll give you money if you give me these gifts that you guys have. And Peter was really angry and he had a righteous anger of God come upon him. And he said, cursed be to you for having such a wicked heart, thinking you can buy it. Let your silver perish with you. Now, if Peter was to proclaim death regarding this man's sin, surely Peter understood that the consequence for this man's sin will be death if this man does not repent. Some of the sorcerer did, however, repent and death was kept away from him. 
But my point is simply in this section that we see how in our New Testament even, people are dying to their sins. Even though Yeshua died for Sapphira and Ananias and Simon the sorcerer, because of their unrepentant hearts, because of the wickedness and the sin in their hearts, they even face the judgment of God. Whether it may be like in Israel with the theocracy they had by stoning, or whether it be that God just directly comes and kills someone because of their sin, whether it be through sickness or whether it be through instant heart attack or whatever. Brothers and sisters, even though this is a hard word, this is the God we serve. A God who is righteous and perfect and holy and who does not permit a wicked heart, especially in those who proclaim that they follow him and thereby actually blaspheme his name when they don't live the way they proclaim to live. Like Ananias and Zephyr proclaiming one thing and but whereby they actually withheld it. We've held everything from God. Brothers and sisters, God calls us to give everything we have to him. And if we try and lie to him or try and lie to others about him and we blaspheme him, we can face the same judgment. God did not change somehow when Yeshua came. God remains the same. And so Jesus came to abolish the law of sin and death. And that is really the law that said that, that was introduced that was in the garden where when they sinned, death was introduced, right? And that death is really a separation from God. Because without Yeshua's sacrifice, there is no way for us to be restored in our relationship with God, such as the relationship that Adam and Eve had. We will never be able to come near him and be and be able to dwell with him forever in the life hereafter. But because of his sacrifice, the law of sin and death is abolished. In other words, sin has no more hold on us and or dominion. It should not hold, have a hold on us as believers who are now dead to our old self and resurrected with Christ. And it will also then have no hold on us in the life hereafter, thereby making us clean and enabling us to come into God's presence. You see, Jesus' sacrifice also heals us in that he says in his word that by his stripes, we are healed both physically, emotionally in our hearts and from our sins, from our addictions, from all the things that this world has tried to place on us. He heals us from God, restores us and he then changes our hearts. And he says in the book of Ezekiel, as well as in Jeremiah 31 verse 31, that he changes our hearts, gives us a new heart, writes his law on our heart, makes us a new creation that will walk according to his law and keep his commandments. That means that we will not sin. We will stop sinning. That is what the sacrifice of Jesus does. His sacrifice does not mean that we are free from the punishments and the consequences of our sin in this life. If I can, I can proclaim as long as I want that I'm a Christian, but if I commit the sin of adultery, I will face consequences. If I commit murder, I will face consequences. I may be locked up in, for life in prison. And we see this with the thief on the cross. Even though the thief on the cross, he, he was a murderer. He had great sin upon his life. 
And he was hanging there alongside Jesus himself. And Jesus himself told this thief that his sins are forgiven and he will dwell with him in the kingdom of heaven. Yet the thief was not taken off the cross. He did not escape the punishment that the civil laws of the land held over him. He still had to face it. And similarly, God is a God of justice who even believers will receive judgment in this world when we do make mistakes. If we steal, lie, kill, destroy, if we do anything, even as believers, unbelievers, no matter who we are, we must face the consequences for our actions. Jesus has not become this pinata, which we can just head all day long with our sin and expect nothing, none of the punishments to ever come upon us. He died for us to live free from sin and to be free from the eternal punishment that we actually deserve because of our unclean lips and unclean works. He saved us from eternal separation from God. He saved us from sin. He did not save us so that we may sin and continue in it. But I know what you may be thinking. In John 3, Jesus says that I have not come to condemn the world. And so how does that, how can we reconcile that with this message? We read about that in John 3 verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We need to understand that God is both love and a judge. The mission of God when he came in the flesh as Yeshua to die for the sins of the world was to come and show us his love for us. That was his mission. That is why he came. It is an expression of love, an expression of I need you back. I need you, even though you're lost in your sin, even though you're far away, even though you hoard with the nations, even though you you chose the ways of the world. My bride, I'm coming for you and I want to set you free. I'm coming to restore you back to me. And the way that I will do that is I will come to lay myself down and die for you. And for many of us, he came to die for us before we were even born because he loves us and he saw us on the way to the cross. We were on his mind. So you see his that was his his mission when he came in the flesh. And so that's why he says, I did not come to condemn the world when he came in the form of Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. However, we do read that when he comes back, we read in the book of Matthew that he's going to come back differently and he's going to have a different mission. Even though who he was when he was here as Yeshua, this perfectly loving, this lamb of God, as led to his slaughter, as this image of how we ought to live. He is going to have a different mission. That of a lion, that of a ruling king. You see, he came the first time as a lamb, but the second he's coming as a lion to judge the world. We read this in Matthew 25 verse 31. And when the son of Adam comes in his esteem, and all the set apart messengers with him. Then he shall sit on the throne of his esteem 
And all the nations shall be gathered before him, and he shall separate them from another, as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And so we see that when he comes back, he's going to come as this ruler, this lion who separates the sheep from the goats. And if you know anything about sheep and goats, goats are animals that are naughty. They're animals that that break things. They're animals that do things that are kind of horrible sometimes. And so that's what God is going to be doing. He's going to be separating those who have evil hearts and wicked hearts from those who had hearts that were after him and the works to show for it. For a heart that is after him will have works that are going to be obedient to what he has told us to do. And those who are hearts that are wicked will do have been doing things that are disobedient to what he has asked us to do. And so I want to ask you the question of when Jesus comes back to judge us in that way, as this judge will separate the wheat from the tear, the goat from the sheep. What laws are he, is he going to be applying? How is he going to judge us? What are the laws that he will judge us by? It's the laws that he studied himself even when he was on this earth. When he was here, I mentioned already the Torah and the prophets. That is the law of God that he walked out perfectly and not so that we don't have to, but so that we can see how he walked so we can imitate him perfectly. And so that's what he's asking of us. He's he wants a bride equally yoked, a bride who's going to walk like he walked. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he will apply the same instructions and laws to judge us by that were applied to him when he died to see whether he had sin or not. And of course, he did not. He was sinless. So, brothers and sisters, you know what this means? It means that law of adultery that people were being stoned for if they broke it or that that law of blasphemy that people were stoned for if they broke it or. You know, the fact that we need to keep a Sabbath day holy, that's like the fourth commandment and the Ten Commandments or all these things that we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't kill, we should honor our father, our mother. Things that God has instructed, the laws of God. We need to start seeing them the way God sees them. We need to start understanding that God's character is so holy that he sees the fact that if we break a marriage covenant through adultery, that he sees it, that you deserve death if through stoning. You see, brothers and sisters, we don't have that perception today in our culture. But God says you need to start seeing my word the way that I intended it to be seen. And I wrote it with these consequences so you can see how serious your sin is. And he wants us to see that because if we don't see the seriousness of our sin, like Israel, that's why he told them to implement these consequences. Because, man, if you saw your brother being stoned for what he did, guess what? You're not doing that sin ever. And that's what happened. Righteousness was formed in Israel because they did see this, the consequences. There were some of the laws of stoning that were in our historical records. We could see they were never in the history of Israel implemented because no one ever broke it because they were obedient. But they weren't like Yeshua. 
and they always made mistakes. And they, even though they were better, the fear of punishment wasn't able to change their hearts. It wasn't able to stop them from sinning in their hearts, having wicked thoughts. Yes, they may not commit adultery physically, but they did so spiritually. They did so in their heart. They looked at women of lust. They fornicated in their hearts. They did. They lied. They stole. They coveted things in their hearts. That's just as great a sin as anything. And so we now see that Yeshua, he came to fulfill. He came to fill up. He came to give more meaning to the Torah. And he says, well, you know, yeah, you're not doing things physically wrong. Maybe. Well, what are you doing in your heart? And he's showing us that your heart needs to be changed. And the only way that that can happen is by my Holy Spirit, by my Ruach HaKodesh. When I come and fill you with my spirit, change your heart, change your nature so you can walk like me. So you can not only just not sin externally and physically, but so that you don't sin in your heart. When we read on in John 3, we read the following. John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And that is why our works do matter. God says that if you have evil works, you hate the light. Point blank. There is no way around it. You can't say one thing and do another. If you say that you love the light, you want to be part of this kingdom of light, this kingdom of our Messiah. You need to have works that are in line with that, that you're following the law of God as he prescribed. You're not committing adultery. You're not fornicating, not sleeping with your girlfriend. You're not doing these things anymore because you understand that you must be a new creation and you cannot do the things of your old life and your new life and still say that you love the light and you love God. God is simply going to look at you and say, well, yes, you may have proclaimed that you love me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. I never knew you. Paul also writes about this in Romans 6 verse 1. And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we had been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You see, brothers and sisters, God asks of us. He says, have you died yet? Have you truly died? Have you given up your life? Because look, if you if you're serious about this thing, man, you're going to give up everything for this kingdom of light. 
You're gonna give up your addiction, your cocaine, your heroin, your cigarettes, your pornography addiction. You're gonna give up the fact that you have a potty mouth and a mouth that is not after the fruits of the spirit. The fact that you love to lie, the fact that you love to pirate things and steal, the fact that you love to lust after women or the fact that you commit adultery or fornicate. You see, brothers and sisters, the list goes on and on and on. We serve a holy God who does not allow sin in his midst. And I'm telling you, listen, you know, we can say Jesus come all day long. But if you say Jesus come all day long with while having your sin in your one hand, not wanting to ever let it go, you will never be able to have that intimate relationship with God that you desire. And God is not fooled. He will come. You see, the moment, brother, sister, listen, this can happen today. It's, it's easy. It's easy. You need to just come and say, Lord, I'm done. I'm done holding on to my sin. I'm done with this thing. I want to follow him. I want to follow you. I want to walk like you. I want to be like you. And I don't. And you didn't do these things, God, so I can't do them. You see what he does is he said, just like we read in Romans, that we have to die. We need to be crucified with him. And if we partake in a crucifixion like his, that means we will partake in a resurrection like his. That means that he, what, what happened in his resurrection? He was resurrected as a new creation, right? When he was resurrected, remember, they didn't even recognize him. He was like, you know, Miriam thought he was the gardener because he looked different. There was something different about him. He had a new face. That means that we can also have a new face. That means that we can also partake in that resurrection of him. And through baptism today, we can come up out of that water and be a new creation. We can say, Father, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live in my old life and in the death I was anymore. I don't want to be like a pig who still rolls around in the things of the world. Rather, I want to be in, I want to die and be a new creation like a sheep that will come before you and I will be pushed into the camp that is accepted and who will hear well done good and faithful servant instead of the one whose camp who will hear I never knew you depart from me you worker of lawlessness you see brothers and sisters he is so gracious because if you if he was just an angry god out to get you and out to judge you and he didn't love you that means that we would not even have this opportunity because see can I tell you that I don't, while God is just and God is all these things, at the same time, I don't see him as this God who's out to get me because he isn't. He is there for me. He loves me. He, he provides. He cares for me. He provides all my needs. He, he, he cares for my family. You know, he is blesses. And he says, if you choose the ways that I have, I've given you life and death, I give you choice, PD, and I want you to choose life. Please choose life because I want to be close to you. And I want to be have an intimate relationship with you like a daddy and his son. And you see, my daddy, he loves me. And no one can take that away from me. And he's not, a, he's not out to get me. He's not out to, to, to hurt me. He's not out to see where am I doing things. Like, where did I fall so he can get me? No. That's not what it's about. 
But it's because I love him so much that I have such a fear of him in my heart, fear of disappointing him, fear of hurting him. Just like if you were married, man, you don't want to hurt the other person. You've got a fear of disappointing or hurting them. In the same way, I have that fear, but I also have a fear of who he is. He is God, the creator of heaven and earth. And I'm just a man. I'm just like, I'm just like made from dust. And, but he breathed his Holy Spirit into me. He breathed his life. He breathed a piece of him into me. And that means that, you know, I'm not just dust. Even though I'm just dust, I'm not just dust, you know. He, he put a piece of him in me. And there's value in me that he saw because he even came to die for me. A God who's just out to get me and out who's angry at me and who doesn't want anything to do with me. Even when I was still a sinner, he did that for me. That means he loves me like such a crazy amount that I cannot even fathom or understand. And so he's so gracious and so loving and so merciful that even if I make mistakes today, if I truly come on her pain to bring it to him, he forgives me quickly, swiftly, and he doesn't remember it when I come to him. If I repent, but at the same time, he is just. And he understood and he, he, took, he took my sins and he placed it upon his son, upon himself. And he came and take it upon him and he died so that I don't have to take the consequence so that I don't have to be separated. So I can come into this light of him. I can remain there free from sin. That's what he where he wants us to remain, because brothers and sisters, when we remain in that place, that is where we can truly be a picture to the world of the true character of God. Because now I'm not going to go on with signs into the street telling the world how much God hates them. I'm not going to go out with signs and telling them how much everyone is just a sinner and God is, hates them and they're all going to go to hell. I'm not going to do that because that's not God's character, even though some things may be true and that some a sinner without Christ is condemned. Is that God's heart? Is that the way that Yeshua did evangelism? Is that the way he, he brought people in? No, it's not. He brought them in by displaying them the story that he shows us in his festivals. And what I mean by that is. We see the the feast days of God is a picture of his love story with us. Where we see the first thing he does, he creates heaven and earth. Genesis, right? And then he what does he he creates the the stars. He creates all these things to make time work. Because if there's no day and no night, if there's no sun, we don't have day and night. So he made all these things so that it can be timing and day and night. So we can keep time on record of things. And then what does he do next? He gives us the Sabbath day, that fourth commandment we ought to keep, right? Once a week, what does he do? He says, I am coming. I am making, spreading my table for you. And I'm going to come and meet with you once a week. That's what he does first. Is he comes to us and he meets with us. And after he comes to meet, he calls us to meet with us. He also he expects of us to come on this date with him once a week. And then what, else, what next did he do? When we go on and we, we had Genesis, then when we go on, we read about this thing, this feast called Passover. That's the next one where God came and ultimately fulfilled it through him coming in the flesh and dying. And he is the Passover lamb the, where the blood is on the doorpost of our hearts, where he 
where the, now the death angel, the death cannot enter in. We are set free from death. So in other words, he redeems us. He sets us free from our sins, right? And then what we have next is we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where now he asks of us to do something for him. He says, I have come. I've spread my table for you. I've, I've come to meet with you. I want to show and I've come to show you my love by dying for you. But now what do I do? What does he do next? He says, now I want you to clean your house from leaven. I want you to take out the leaven out of your home. I want you to clean the sin out of your house. That's what he mean by, means by that. He says, repent from your sins. Take it out because now you've seen my love for you. Now you need to take a step and make an action. Let your works change because of my spirit that indwells with you. And that's what he does next. In order for us to actually be able to clean our house from leaven truly, we need to wait. And we have this counting of the Omer, this 50 days that happens after the Passover. And then God comes. We know, remember, he told his, his, his disciples to stay in Jerusalem. Wait, right? And then he pours out his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit comes and empowers his disciples to spread the gospel and to live empowered for his kingdom, to be able to live free from sin, to be able to be bold. And then we also have a festival, the festival of first fruits, where God asks of us to make our first fruits offering. In other words, he's saying, I want you to give your life to this thing. It's not just about a little bit here, a little bit there. He says, no, I need your life for this. And we see him come at the festival of trumpets. We read in Revelation where he will come as one with the blowing of trumpets, right? And so then when he, he returns to us, his bride, he comes to come back to us to restore relationship, right? In the flesh, not just now this kind of relationship, but now we will have this relationship with him yet again. And then what does he do next? He says he will judge. He will. And the day of atonement is then thereafter where God will judge those who didn't, who chose the, the kingdom of darkness, who chose evil. And he will judge those who wronged us. He will judge those who deserve judgment. Like I mentioned, he rewards those who do good and he judges those who do evil because he is a righteous judge. And then at the last feast, the festival of Sukkot, also known as the marriage supper of the Lamb, where he will come and finally, when all is done and over, have our marriage supper. We will be dwelling with him and he will have a wedding for us in essence. If you can think about it that way, where we will be able to have a relationship so close with him if we walked in the light and if we pursued his kingdom, if we saw love and if we repented. But see, bro, here's the beauty of it. I just mentioned eight feasts right now. Eight steps, eight things that God did. Only two of them were things that he asks of us to do. And this, the remaining six were things that he does for us. He did everything. He meets with us. He dies for us. He have a marriage supper of the Lamb for us. He will one day judge our enemies. He, he says, vengeance is mine, right? Day of atonement. He will come back on the day of trumpets. He will do all of these things for us. He gives us a Holy Spirit. He equips us with spirit and truth to be able to walk and live like he did. He gives us everything. He gives us himself. And he just asks us, to repent of our sins for what we did wrong and to give us to him.
You see the, the beauty of our God. And in the same way now, we must apply that to the way we live and the way we evangelize, the way we show people of this picture. We need to, we can't just go up to them and go and jump to that judgment day, day of atonement and tell them that is all of who God is. He is this judge. He's angry at you and he hates you. Sorry. No, that's not God. Who wants to repent from that? Who, who wants that? Who wants to hear that? That's not good news. That's horrible news. I'm at enmity with God. But the good news is he's died for me and that. But therefore, you need to first show we need to first show people that God loves you. man. And, you know, this, this he wants you to be set free. You know, the sickness you have or this, whether it's physical, emotional or whatever it is, whether you're hurting inside or whatever it is, you know, this world has many bondages and forms of slavery on us. But whatever this person is struggling with, we need to show them the power of God. That's why Paul said, and I come to you with the wisdom of men, but I came with a demonstration of his spirit. So you can see that it is the power of God so that you don't put your trust in men, but that you put your trust in the power of God. That's what Paul said himself in Corinthians. That's what we ought to do. We need to show how to be so filled with that spirit of God. So that when we walk into a room, people are healed from their infirmities, whichever way it goes, so that they can see this is the love of Yeshua. This is the love of Jesus. This is his love for us. And this is why you want to give your life to him. Because he's a good, loving father who's coming home for his son, for his daughter. And he just wants you to come home to him. He just wants you to be with him. He is a father who just desires relationship. Man, his character is not one who hates and just hates, hates, hates all day long. And his character is also not one who's just lacks all day long and who doesn't care about the right or wrong. He is a God of grace and mercy and love, but he's also a God of right and wrong who upholds the righteous and blesses the righteous and who will one day judge those who choose the way of evil and rebels against him. Brother, sister, it's time to represent him well. It's time to stop picking and choosing which sins are worse than others. It's time to start reading his Torah and prophets to understand what sin is like. What's, how does God view sin? That God views adultery the way he does and he views blaspheming his name the way he does. How does he view it when we dishonor our parents? How does he view it when you, we break his Sabbath? And you may say, well, PD, I've never thought of that. Maybe you've never heard of this. Maybe you've never heard of even the Sabbath. Maybe you've never heard of this in church. Well, I'll ask you to test my words. Test everything I say, but... Just go, don't discount it. Go to the Father and ask Him, Lord, what is the truth? Because when Yeshua stood before Pilate and Pilate said, what is truth? Yeshua kept quiet because Pilate was staring truth right in the face. And that truth was Yeshua. Because Jesus is the truth. He's the walking truth. And Jesus was a just person. And He was a loving and gracious person. After healing, he said, repent. And so in the same way, when we heal, when we heal, when we profess this God, this God of love and grace, we must tell them to repent thereafter. We need to say, well, now that you've been healed, now go forth and repent from your sins and be made a new creation. 
Brother, sister, I ask of you to seek his face in the way, in prayer, in looking at the way that Yeshua walked through our New Testament and also in the Torah and prophets. God has given us all of that to see what his character truly is so that we can imitate his character perfectly to the world. For those of us who do not represent him well and who misaligns his name, who, who who say we profess we and profess we follow him, yet live a life contrary to that, the judgment on those will be very great. And I wish for you to not to escape it and to rather walk as he did and walk in right standing. Because brother and sister, we have one shot at this thing. And don't let this video just be something. Let it be the thing that changes your life because you chose to take it seriously. You chose to follow God with all you had and to repent of every deep sin today. Father, I ask that you would come with your Ruach right now and fill every person watching. Lord, I pray, God, that you would come and change their lives now. That you would change their hearts right now. Lord, we pray right now, Lord, every sin we put on the altar. God, and I thank you, God, for freedom from drugs from people who are watching this video. Freedom from pornography right now in the name of Yeshua. Lord, freedom from that, those cigarettes, freedom from lust and, and people who are committing adultery, Lord, they would come and repent because, Lord, we know no matter how long we've been sinning, no matter how deep and dark the sin, no matter what it is, Lord, even though you see it is, it is unholy and it is far from you, in a moment you can forgive through your Son and you can draw people as close as your breath because they have hearts that are repentant and they give their lives to you. And so, Lord, we profess that over over these people right now lord i pray that everyone who's watching would lord that that would happen in their hearts lord and i thank you for your forgiveness lord over our sins lord in the name of yeshua brothers and sisters i hope this teaching is blessed and encouraged you if this ministry has blessed you please share this video for others so that they may see the truth regarding god's character and who yeshua and who god as the father is so you may see that he did not change so we may see that god never changes May God bless you and keep you. I say, shine his face upon you, his counts upon you, give you strength, shalom, and blessing. And I'll see you guys in the next video. I'd like to give a special thanks to the patrons of this ministry who has made this video and all the videos we're putting out this month possible. We are putting out videos every single week, reaching thousands of people. And if you'd like to join us in this mission of reaching the nations with the true Messiah of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, consider becoming a partner of this ministry so we may set people free and proclaim the gospel.